0: pray. Father, we worship you and praise you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, God, that you cherish us. You cherish your bride. I pray this morning, Lord, that you do your will. I have given you my hands, my feet, my mouth, my eyes, my ears. I have given you my will. Father, do with them what you please. I speak my desire that there be none of me in this, but only you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. It was interesting what Jenna prayed because she said, Lord, change it up. (laughs) You just don't know how prophetic that
1: was.
0: (laughs) For the last couple of, probably the last day and a half, couple days, whatever you want to call it, um, I did not feel we would be live on Facebook this morning. I, I felt like the Lord wanted us to... Just be us, and, um, and then there were some things on my mind as far as that goes, and the Lord changed it up this morning, <laughs> and we are going to remain live. although he hasn't changed a lot of the subject. He's changed some of it uh, just in the last couple of songs. Some things that he gave me. One he told me to write down. And I'm going to repeat it to you. But. This message. That he has this morning. Is. For the bride. It is for his church. And it's to be taken. Into the heart. Of each one. And really. Take it before the Lord. This is what the Lord told me to write down. Passion, when seated firmly in Him, meaning the Lord, is a slap to the face of the blind. Let me repeat that. Passion, when seated firmly in Him, is a slap to the face of the blind. Why would you want a slap to the face of the blind? Well, it will bring one of two responses. First of all, it will bring a response. If I come up to you and I slap you in the face, that's going to bring a response. It might bring a slap right back. (laughs) It might bring a surprise, it might bring an ouch, right? It might shake you up. See, when God slaps us in the face, what does that mean to us? If, has God ever slapped you in the face? Have, has he ever done anything to get your attention To say, I need you to listen to me. I need you to get this. Why? Because I love you. That's His grace, by the way. We talk about grace all the time. By grace are you saved. What is the grace? It is. I read something just this morning that was a clearer definition of what grace is. Because you have an intellectual definition of grace, which is, what? We all heard it. Unmerited favor. Right? Unmerited favor. But it is so much deeper than that. It is so much more than that. Grace is literally this. That by you accepting Jesus Christ into your heart and becoming a child of God, God, through His grace, doesn't see you anymore in your current state. He sees you through the filter of His Son. He sees you literally through the eyes of Jesus Christ, whose blood covered your sin. That's real grace. That's so much greater than unmerited favor. His grace literally Allows a connection between you and the Father. By the way, a connection that was never there or allowed in the Old Testament. Think about that. That's an extraordinary thought. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, when he died, what happened? The veil tore. What was the veil? The veil was what kept us away from the Father. What kept us away from His glory. From who He is. That's what that veil did. When Jesus Christ paid the price of our sin and the Father could look at us through Jesus' eyes, through this Jesus filter, all of a sudden we had the capability of friendship with God. You know, I read this the other night, but I want to read it again. There's this guy in Kenya who and let's see if hopefully I can find it. This guy in Kenya who is a missionary there. And I don't know him or anything, but Bryn had sent me something else about him, and then I ran across this and it was oh, So good. And I I just want to read it again this morning and let this soak into your heart and recognize the truth of what this says. The Father says, Some of you yearn for a deeper walk with me. Though I have many sons and daughters, I have few friends. Friendship with me is a walk that brings immense joy to both of our hearts. Ask me to draw you into a walk of friendship with me. Allow me to take your hand and let us walk in a journey of great joy and love that never ends. One that starts here on earth and continues on throughout eternity. Ask me to give you the grace every day to walk with me as a friend. I will share my hopes and dreams with you, my deepest secrets with you, as you entrust every care, every hope, every dream with me. I am the best listener you have ever known, treating your every word as a precious jewel. You yearn for true happiness, true contentment, true joy. Those and more will be found in our friendship. I invite you to explore the wonders of my heart, to see others through my eyes of love. For to be my friend is to truly walk as one heart with me, to share our lives with each other. My friends, though few, know life in its true fullness. They look forward to each new morning and go to sleep in my loving arms. Walk with me as my friend and know what it really means to live. The door stands open before you and through the door, the greatest adventure you've ever known. See, that takes me back to his statement of what passion is. Because when you have one that is around you, that is filled with the love of Christ, that is filled with relationship with Him, they stand out, right? Right. I used to call them weird. I used to call them the fray. I used to call them the radicals. right? Those are the people that don't understand God intellectually like I do. Because I know the Word of God. I know the Word of God probably better than most of them. So they're just weird. Right? That's where I was for the majority of my saved life, for 40 years of my saved life. And then God showed me what it meant to be a friend. God showed me the availability of friendship, which I never even knew existed. And then all of a sudden... I was one of those weird ones. (laughs) I was the fray. I was the one on the outside. that Now, not that they couldn't call me weird for other reasons. Okay, I understand that. But it's the passion. Don't assume for a second that your passion is going to be accepted by the world, that your passion, if seated in Christ... Is going to be received by those around you. It's not going to be. Why? Because it's that. It's a slap in the face. It's a slap in the face for the purpose of waking them up. And not that you're slapping them in the face. You're just in love with Jesus. You're just in friendship with the Father. You're just filled with the Holy Spirit. But the slap is from what fills you. To say, open your eyes and see me, meaning the Father. Open your eyes and see the friendship that I offer. Now to the world, they may not understand at all. Because there is a difference between the world being slapped and a child of God being slapped. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right? It's actually easier for the world. Because there's all kinds of weird people in the world. They just put it in a category of weirdness and whatever, move on. Oftentimes, weirdness is just celebrated in the world. And I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But in the body of Christ, passion is rarely celebrated. Passion, when it is seated in Him. Seated in relationship with Him, where He flows through, that passion is aggressive. That passion is offensive to those who would not have it. Why? Because it's scary. It's scary to give everything that you are to something else. To literally give control to something else. You, know, here's, you want to hear something interesting you probably don't know about me? Do you know I've never been drunk in my life? Ever. Not once. Even going through stages in my life where I was around it all the time. Never been drunk in my life. I've never done a single drug in my life. Not one. So I, I won't just say that I didn't inhale. I didn't even put it to my mouth. Now, why do I say that? Because I'm good? No, because I wanted to control. And I knew those substances would take the control from me. I wasn't about to give control to anything else. So it wasn't this, you know, high Christian thing that I'm just staying away from it because I'm a good Christian. No, it was, I suppose, for a bad reason. Thank God he used it. Right? It was because I had to control So it is scary to give your control away to something else. It's even scarier when you give it away to something you can't see. Right? When we give our lives to Jesus Christ at the beginning, when we accept Him into our heart, that is not giving our life to Christ. Please understand that. That is justification for sin. That is God's full grace, His full gift where you now have this golden ticket to heaven that we say. Okay, but that does not automatically give God control. Opens the door. Right, it opens the door to that relationship. But then you have to, once you are a child of God, step in that relationship. You step in that relationship by giving Him control. Lord here are my fears. We talked about that. You want to overcome a fear? You know, you could go listen to blah, blah, blah's 12-step point on how to overcome fear, or you could just go to God and give it to Him. Because He is the overcomer. He is who make us the overcomers when we give it to Him. So it's giving it To him. When we do that, it produces a passion. It produces a love. It produces a, I don't care what people think because I can't keep it in. And Jesus said, You're going to be hated for that. It's okay. He was. He was crucified for it because he represented the Father. The passion in him was seen by all, and it offended many, but it drew others in. And that's what he's going to do. The passion in you, don't try to hold it in. Now, I'm not saying on purpose you go and like exude passion because you think it's going to be good. No, good night. The point is, you're letting him do it. There is nothing more real than taking yourself out of the way and letting Him work through you. Nothing more real. You'll find yourself stepping into places that you wouldn't normally find yourself stepping into. I don't mean physical places. I'll give you a great example. One of the people I'm most proud of in my entire life is my wife. What she does... I mean... Man, just put me in front of a crowd of millions of people to speak, but please don't make me do what she does. Don't, don't tell me to go over and pray for this person in the grocery store because they need that prayer right then. Now, I don't know why that's hard for me. And by the way, if the Lord tells me to do that, I do it. And I do. Okay, it's certainly not my comfort zone. And it's not hers either. But she does it. Why does she do it? Because she has passion for the Lord. Amen. When you have passion for the Lord, you see the things around you how He sees it. And this world, especially Christians, are hurting. And they don't even know it. They don't even know it. It's kind of like somebody suffering from a sickness when you have the medicine. But they don't even want to look at you Don't even want to take it from your hand Because they just Don't know anything more Than to wallow In the feelings that they have Because they could control Those feelings You see what I'm saying You know it's interesting because We've been talking Of course there will just flat out Not be a week that goes by that we will not talk about relationship. Just mark that down. That's just, that's the flat truth of it. But I had been going through, a couple weeks ago, I had been going through the uh, Revelation 2 and 3, and really all of Revelation, but focused on Revelation 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches. And I want to go through three of them here this morning. Like I said, I hadn't planned to do this, but in the second to last song, the Lord told me to. I want you to go to chapter three. And I want to point something out. Now, this is something that you see in every single one of the letters. Now, what are these letters? These are letters from Jesus Christ. You notice in your Bible, it's a red letter. If you have a red letter edition, it's red. Okay, this isn't. This isn't the prophecy written by John that was given to John to say to the world or, you know, whatever. These are letters that were written by Jesus after his ascension. And he said, here, this is to my bride. This is to my church. I have these seven letters. Now they went out to actual churches. Okay. But they also weren't just for those churches. Each church got all seven. And if you look at it today, each church is made up of all seven of these characteristics in the letters. But I want to point something out that you can be a theologian. If you are, I pray for you. You know, we'll go have coffee. Because... To pull something in and to understand something in the intellect will yield very little in your life. I promise you. If you are a theologian listening to this, look at your life. And see if what is produced in your life is produced out of what you know or out of the Holy Spirit working through you. Because I'm not saying all theologians are the same either. People are not all the same. But you cannot read, especially this book, especially these letters. You can't read them from an intellectual mind frame and expect to get out of them what you need to get. Let me prove it. Each letter ends with the same thing. And we'll just look at this one right here, the Church of Sardis, because they're all the same, all seven, but go down to verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the what says to the churches. Church. With the spirit. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. It doesn't say he who has an ear or has eyes, let him read what I wrote to you, the churches. It doesn't say that, does it? Why? Because this requires interpretation. This requires an active relationship through the Holy Spirit to be able to understand the pearls that are in here. I I love this. God has afforded me a perfect example in Claudette. Right? Claudette, in order to know what I'm saying, and hopefully you'll know what I'm saying in this, she doesn't speak English very well. She doesn't hear English very well. So she has an interpretation app on her phone. She could speak into Spanish. It will speak out English and vice versa. Okay? There was an interpretation involved in that communication. It's no different With the Word of God. You can read the Word of God and get a surface level understanding of what it is. And it will be powerful, by the way. You can read the Word of God. You can just take John 3.16 and know God loves me and Jesus died for me. And if I believe in Him, I won't perish. I'll have everlasting life. I can look at that intellectually, understand that, receive Him and know it. But that isn't the depth of what he wants in friendship with you. He said to his churches, if you have an ear to hear, in other words, if you have a desire to know, we all have ears. It's not, well, if you have an ear, you can hear. If not, well, sorry. No, we have ears. They just are not all set to listen. He's saying, if you have ears and they are set to listen, then listen to the, what the Spirit says to the churches. So let's just start. Let's just start. And one, one of these days, I've been asking the Lord, I'm, I just want to go through the book of Revelation with you guys so bad. I don't know, maybe if we can like do a week retreat. Where we all go away somewhere and we just can dive in. How cool would that be? If it's a college ministry,
1: like three months to a year to do
0: it. I, I, I think we could fit it in a week. I mean, there's 24 hours in a day. Okay. All right. So, so chapter three, verse one, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. See, this is, this is a passion not seated in the Father. It's not that they're not Christians. Understand the difference. The passion being seated in the Lord is the fact that you have relationship. With the Lord. Not that you're saved. Not that you're justified of sin. Man, you've got many people out there that will walk being justified of their sin, having that golden ticket to heaven, that will never have a relationship with the Lord this side of heaven. Do you understand that? So we're not talking about saved versus unsaved. Satan has been able to blind the bride, blind Christians into thinking that's all that was necessary. And man alive, one day I'm going to write a book about this because it, 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 it bugs me so much as to how selfish that is. That I get salvation out of it. I, I literally get my life. What does he get? What is it? If that's all the further it went, what does He get? What does the Father get? The Father who gave His only Son. The Son who went through a life as a man, literally lowering Himself beneath His own creation and dying on the cross. What does He get? Just the knowledge that we don't have to burn forever? That's all he gets. That's a pretty raw deal on his end, isn't it? It bugs me that we don't understand. And when I say we, present company excluded. Because I know we get it. But the overall bride, the overall bride, it just bugs me that they think that's all it is. That's why there's such a focus on evangelism. And I'm sorry, that's awesome. And those who were evangelists, they actually did their job. Right? Reinhard Bonnke, he he died recently. He was probably the greatest evangelist in terms of fruit the world's ever seen. I know in Nigeria, in a span of I think it was 10 years, he saw 12 or 13 million people come to know the Lord. To get saved. To get that golden ticket. And probably many more than that. 13 million. In 10 years. In one country. About 5% of the nation. Or a little over 5% of the nation. I've been to Nigeria. Been going there now for four years. Guess what? I don't see that five, six, seven percent. Because if they were, if all that needed to happen was them get saved, then that nation would have been turned by now. And it's not. What did Jesus say? Go into all the world, preach the gospel. Right, But he said, and disciple them. Disciple them. What does disciple them mean? Send them off to seminary? So they can learn a pre-described portion of Scripture and how it's taken. Oh, good night. Save us from that. I, I, I don't mean to be down on seminaries. And I'm not saying they're all bad, but they're all controlled. And they're not controlled by the Holy Spirit. You know, what he wants is he won't. And, and by the way, I don't come from the aspect of, well, I've, I've never learned the Bible. And so I don't want to put in the time. And, 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 you know, so I'm just going to say, well, the Lord just gives it to me and it's all awesome. No, I put in 35 years. I know what it's like to be in seminary. I know what it's like to learn lists. <laughs> I know what it's like to learn Hebrew. I know what it's like to learn Greek. Wasn't very good at it, but I know what it's like. See, that's not what God wanted. God said here to the churches, you've got to listen to the Holy Spirit who speaks to you. He is not going to speak to you in intellect. He's going to speak to you in relationship. Because that's what the Father gets out of this. That's what the Father gets for giving His Son. That's what the Father gets for offering the grace to see us through Jesus' eyes. He gets friendship. He gets relationship. He gets John chapter 15. Where Jesus said, no longer are you my servants. You're no longer my servants. Why? Because I've poured into you. You've poured back to me. We've shared. He said, now I call you my friends. You're my friends. I'd go sit and have coffee with my friends. I love the picture of Moses. Man. I, envy is a bad thing, so I need a different word. <laughs> but you know, when Moses would set up the tent of meeting, and he would go in, and the cloud would rest at the door, and he would go in and and just be in the tent of meeting by himself. What do you think he was doing in there? I mean, the Bible says what he was doing in there. He was talking to God. He was talking to the Father. Okay, well, is that because he could only talk to him in the tent of meeting? No, he talked to him all the time. That was a special place. That was a special time. I tell you often about how I'll sit down in the morning and I'll just grab a cup of coffee. And I know many of you do the same thing. And you just have this special place that you have. Where you are just with the Lord You worship, you talk to him you, you hear from him You read his word You consume his word And it's just special That's what that was for Moses It was that relationship It's that place where he could go Where it was nobody else It's just he and the father See that's what God sent his son for That's what he wants. And it's available to us. It's available to everyone who has received Jesus as his Savior or her Savior. Right? It's available to us. That's what God gets out of this. So understand as we go through this, you can understand the intellect of these letters, or you could go and you could go deeper and understand what the Holy Spirit is speaking through these letters. And and by the way, There's only one truth. There's only one truth. He's not going to tell one person one thing and tell another person the opposite thing. There is one truth. Now, he may apply it to your life in a different way. But there's only one truth. And that's not just in these letters. That's in all 66 books written by over 40 authors. Right? In the entire Word of God, it's one truth. Now we may squabble about that truth. That's actually what separated the churches. Squabbling about doctrine. Right? Doctrine separates the church. I'm not going to go down that down that path.
1: <laughs> I'll
0: tell you what. It rips the Lord apart. I'm telling you it rips the Lord apart. when we squabble over little stupid things, I remember when this whole thing began. <laughs> you know my background. Okay? I, I, was, I was raised or in legalistic churches, whatever, Baptist. I remember when we made the big voyage. We're going from hymns only to worship. Oh, those were rough days, weren't they, honey? Those were rough days, and sure enough, we just had to be right in the middle of them. I was on this new praise team. Praise team! I I won't even go into that. But the bottom line is, God wants our heart. He just wants our heart. He doesn't want the bride, the children of of God to be separated. And he is bringing them together. And that's why these things are really important because trust me, you will not escape the choice. Not a single one of you, not a single one hearing my voice will escape the choice to be hot or cold. You will not escape it. Because if you stay lukewarm, I'm telling you, these times are here where you will be spit out. I'm not going to begin to tell you what that means. But I can pretty confidently say it's not good. It's time for passion. It's time to step in absolute yes to him. And passion with him. So let's finally get to chapter 3. I I actually had so many places I wanted to go, but oh well. It's all you, Lord. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, verse 2. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. See, understand, it's not talking about your ticket to heaven. Your ticket to heaven is not about to be canceled. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 say that you're sealed. You are sealed with the the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, man, Lord, you don't want me to do that. All right, I'm going to say something controversial. Just because... Read... Let's go to Ephesians 1, 13, and 14. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, this is what happens right here. Verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, what is that? That is knowing who Jesus Christ is, who he was, who he is, and what he did, and where he is now, that as the Son of God, he became a man, lived a perfect life, offered that life on the cross, a sinless life, died for you and me, rose from the grave because death could not hold him, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. That is, in a nutshell, what the gospel of your salvation is. So in Him, when you also heard that gospel and believed in Him, you believed that gospel, what? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When was He promised? John chapter 20, right? Or somewhere around 20, where Jesus had risen from the dead and he said I am going to go to be with my father trust me you want me to leave because I'm going to send the comforter to be with you that's the promised Holy Spirit so you were sealed by this Holy Spirit the third part of the Trinity who was promised to you and then it says who he is and what he does who is the guarantee of our inheritance when? until I love that word. I have it highlighted in my Bible. And yes, my Bible's electronic. It's awesome. Because I got it on three different places. He is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. What is that guarantee? What is that promise? Eternal life. John 3, 16. The promise is eternal life. When we accept Him... We are saved. We will not die. We will not die an eternal death, the second death. For when we we die, we will be with the Lord. Right? That's what the guarantee is. Now, here's the controversial part. Here's the difficult part. People read this. People read in the Word of God and say, Well, I am saved. I have accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. So I am fully filled with the Holy Spirit. And I will walk how I desire to walk. sorry baloney you draw access to his power you draw access to the holy spirit through relationship not through simple acceptance you don't you want to know proof of that look at a person's life who walks without the power of god in their life Look at a person who has accepted Jesus Christ into their heart. And that's the only fruit you ever see in their life. You have one of two choices to make there. Either they're really not saved, or the Holy Spirit isn't doing anything in their life. Right? What is relationship? Relationship. We're talking about this in the elders' meeting. It's sanctification, the Bible calls it. Right? There is justification of sin, which is what we call salvation. That's when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart. But then begins this process of sanctification. Sanctification is relationship. Sanctification is not standing here waiting for him to come to me. Right? He already comes to you. He has given you salvation. He has given you justification of your sin. And then he stands there and just knocks. Just knocks. He's not knocking on the door of the unsaved. Guys, let's look at it. I think it's, it's in the last... Oh, stink, I already turned from. It. Yeah, let's go back real quick to... The end of chapter 3 in Revelation. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's not talking to unsaved here. He's not talking to those who do not know Christ here, he is talking, who are these letters written to? These letters are written to the church. He's talking to the church, to his bride, to his children, and he's saying, listen, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I'll come in and eat with you and he with me. In other words, what he's saying is I will have a relationship with you. The next part Of your salvation travel, if you want to call it that. You get justified of sin. The next part is on you. It is on you. The first part isn't on you. It's grace. It's a 100% gift. All you literally do is receive it. But the second part, you do have to pursue. God said, take a step to me and I will take a step to you. He didn't say, I'm going to come to you first and hold your hand because I know you won't choose relationship. I want relationship really bad, so I'm going to force relationship on you. He didn't say that, did he? Because that's not real relationship. That's slavery. That's slavery. That's being a servant. And Jesus said in John chapter 15, after he had been with his disciples for, for this while, just pouring back and forth... Not just one way, not just him pouring out, but him receiving. He said, no longer are you my servants, but now you're my friends. Because you opened the door when I knocked. I came in, we had a meal, we talked, we had coffee in your special place. By by the way, I want to come back tomorrow. Spend a little more time in in your secret place with just me. You know, I never used to understand that secret place thing. I mean, I've been hearing that for, I've been saved now, I don't know, 45 years, 46 years. Which is tough since I'm like in my (laughs) mid-30s. But for all that time, I would hear secret place. Go to your secret place. Spend time with him in your secret place. I'm thinking in my mind secret place. First of all, there's not a place in my house where my family doesn't go. And that's even when I was growing up where it wasn't my house. So it never made sense to me. I never understood what that really meant. And what I thought it meant was go learn the word of God, which was a good thing. (laughs) That's a bad thing. That's an awesome thing. I praise God that he, he, he drove me to learning his word. But I didn't understand the concept of a secret place until I gave him my heart in relationship and had expectation of that relationship back. Then I understood what the secret place is. Do you know when I am with him in the secret place, do you know there could be a thousand people around me? And I'm not sure I would know it. I mean, a thousand I might, especially if they're in my house. Right? But... But there might be things going on around you that you, you don't recognize. You don't know why. Because he knocked and you opened the door and you're together. I mean, there's nothing more that I want in my life than to just be with him. Right? Just to sit. If you had the opportunity to sit with Jesus and have a cup of coffee, or tea for those of you who aren't fully saved. <laughs> Sorry. If you had that opportunity, what would you do to actually do that? I mean, if, if you knew Jesus was at the house next door and, and he said he, he, he's opening himself up for you to go in and sit down and physically have a cup of coffee with him and talk to him. And you can, you can talk to him, ask any question you wanted. You can hear from him however you, you know know, what, whatever, you can spend that time with him, what would you do to make that happen? You'd do everything, I would imagine. You'd be crazy not to. If you didn't, it's simply because you don't understand the truth of it, or you don't believe it, or something, I don't know. In relationship, you have that. In relationship, you have that possibility and that capability. You have that. So what stops us from doing that? More than not, the intellect. More than not, it's understanding the intellect of what the Bible says and not allowing the God, God to speak to the heart of what it says. Okay, I know we're going to get through this. Okay. So again back verse end verse 1, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember them then what you received and heard, keep it, repent if you will not wake up. Okay, understand this if you will not wake up I will come like a thief and you will know at what hour I'm sorry if you will not wake up I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you understand that again theologians get this wrong this is not written to unsaved he's not saying oh man pay attention because I'm going to come in the rapture and it's It's like a thief in the night. You don't know when I'm coming. And and you won't be ready because you won't have accepted me. He's not saying that. He's writing to his children here. Okay? He's writing to his children. And he says, if you will not wake up, if you will not build relationship, if you will not open up, there will come a time that if you do not wake up, then I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I come. And the proof is in the last two words. Not to take others away and you won't see them. And you won't come because you weren't saved. But that hour in which I will come against you. Those are heavy, heavy words. Those are heavy words. Well, wait a second. God, God's he's just love. God won't come against me. He's just love. Love doesn't come against. You know what? Parents understand what coming against in love is. There were times that we had to come against our children in love because we loved them. They had to be punished for something because well, you know, God would never punish because He loves. He loves and He would never do that. You know what? Take a look at a family where the parents do not do not have boundaries and punish their children you will see a family that does not display love. Because if they loved, they would know what was best for them. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Look, if you don't open yourself up to relationship, I am going to come when you least expect it, and I will come against you. Not oppose you as a foe, but I will show you the punishment of my love because I want desperately for you to know me in relationship. I will keep coming against you until you get it. And if you think that that's only for the unsaved, then you're getting it backwards because he said, if I love, then I will. I will discipline my children. If I am disciplining you as my child, the Lord says it is because of love. That is a sign that I love you. That's Him coming when you don't expect it. You don't expect it when you're in sin. No. No, sin lasts for a season and it's good. In your mind, you you don't even think about consequences. You might before you choose to do it. Right? But there comes a point where that surprise comes. And there are the consequences of that sin. And that consequences are him coming against Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I want you to go down, and I'm going to finish this like real fast. Go down to the Church of Philadelphia. This is all of our favorite ones, because like there's nothing bad in this one. (laughs) I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and you have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those in the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Who is this talking about, by the way? These Jews that say they are Jews and not, you know, are we just talking about people that claim to be Jewish? No. We're talking about people that claim to be Christians. And, you know, that's a pretty popular thing now. It's a popular thing in politics to say you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Do you know the one who claims to be a Christian the most is the same one that opposes his word just as much? Right? Pete Buttigieg. I don't know about you, but you listen to these people. I remember just a few weeks ago, Nancy Pelosi, after all the thing that night, then she went to that prayer breakfast. I love it. I love, I love, love, love what God is doing. Because in this prayer breakfast, everybody gets up and they're all supposed to have these Christian-like attitudes and, You know, Nancy gets up there and does this pre-formatted prayer and blah, blah, blah. And some other guy did the same thing before her. And and Trump gets up there and he goes, yeah, I know I'm supposed to let this thing go, but I can't. (laughs) This This is just not right. Right? He spoke truth. Woe to those who use the name Christian and have no choice to do it in their life. Woe to them. I don't know if they're the lukewarm. I don't even think they're the lukewarm. I mean, unless they're saved, unless they're truly saved, which I'm sure some may be. But I can tell you this that if you use that as a political gain, I'll say this to Washington, if you use Jesus Christ for political gain, or the bride, or pastors, if you use Jesus Christ for political gain, and your life doesn't represent what you say in Christ, you're better to be quiet, sit down, don't say a word. Because he will come like a thief in the night. And he will come against you. I have seen, in these coming times, I have seen pastors drop dead in their pulpits. I have seen political figures that will pay a dear price for saying they're Christians. And they don't display his character. What, is, what does saying Christian mean? I am Christ like. Wow. I, I don't think I would even, even being a Christian, in love with him, you've got to think twice about saying, I am Christ like. I am Christian. I am a follower of Christ. I do what he does. Wow You either are blind, these people that we're talking about. You are either blind. I don't, know, I don't know, or you have a death wish. But God is about to judge that. And when I say about I'm not talking in years, you watch what happens in the next few months. you watch what happens in this election cycle. I'm telling you right now, it's not going to be Pete Buttigieg. It's not going to be him. It's not going to be Biden. It's not going to be that real rich guy. What's his name? Bloomberg? Bloomberg? Oh, I heard a really funny joke about him. I won't say
1: it. (laughs) It won't be him
0: either in all his billions. Lord told us, I will give this country a clear choice i he didn't tell me who that was. I know who it is. It's going to be Sanders. Because the choice is about control. Socialism is about control. It's about giving control to somebody outside of yourself. Kind of the opposite of capitalism, right? That's the choice he's going to give. The choice wasn't about, you know, Well, this one's a Christian and this one's not. No, he's going to rise up his bride either way. Because I'm telling you this, it will be, I believe, Sanders against Trump. But Sanders will never, no matter what, will never make it to that election or, or to the presidency ever. He won't. He won't. But the choice is the important part of it. Because the choice is not just for the bride. The bride to stand up and use your voice, use your voice to say what's right and what's wrong. It's not about believing in in Donald Trump because he's this great, you know, moral guy. I don't know him. And, and by the way, it drives me insane. I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't go down this rabbit hole, but this one I'll choose to go down. It, <laughs> it bugs me. When somebody looks at a person, judges them on where they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. Okay, if you judged me for where I was when I was in my early to mid 20s, you certainly wouldn't be listening to me now. If you judged me when I was just in business and, and that's all I cared about, you. Probably wouldn't be listening to me now. Unless you needed like a bus to go to New York. (laughs) That's the business I was in. Who I am now is not who I was 10 years ago. Now, I didn't know Donald Trump 10 years ago. I don't know him now. What I do know is what the Lord's told me about him. I do know he will be our next president again, because Lord told me he would have eight years. I do know that the Lord is working in his heart. I don't know if he's saved or not. That's not my criteria for voting for him. I'll tell you what, if it boils down to one thing, the church should get off their butt and get out and vote for this one thing, and that is that abortion is wrong. And it is a sacrifice to Satan, literally. And there's not a soul on the Democratic Party that does not believe in abortion. Not a soul. And yet, Donald Trump stands firmly against that. If nothing else, that should drive you to vote. But you know more than that, it should drive you to open your mouth. It should drive you to open your mouth for what's right and what's wrong. Because there's power in the Spirit. And we're just not going to get to the rest of this. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe we'll get to it one day. But just understand what God is wanting. He is wanting a passion out of us. So it will slap those around us. Slap for the hope of bringing them to a point of seeing their own relationship with God and seeing the possibility of that let's come on up
1: I was thinking about um, both Revelation 320 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. But also John 10.27, which is that my sheep hear my voice and they know me and follow me. I was told recently that um, John 10.27 was referring to salvation. And you can't follow, begin to follow God until you're saved. So that is also talking about the believers and following him. But I just have to say something that is has become such a division. You know, when I look at Revelation 3.20 about behold, I stand at the door and knock. When you understand relationship, you can confidently speak of what the Lord has told you. If I have coffee with Shannon, I can come away from that and speak of the things spoken to me and vice versa. Okay? There has become such a divide and it has become so so off-putting. You talk about a slap in the bride. To say God told me is is a repellent to a lot of people with a how dare you. And the reason it's a slap is because unless you understand that verse and you understand conversation in relationship, it becomes the God card that people find to be arrogant and pious And can it be misused? Can I, even in a human example, can I say that Shannon told me stuff she didn't tell me? Especially if if I'm having coffee with somebody that might have a lot of authority, a lot of influence. That that's happened to people. People in politics. They something you know comes away from the meeting and they begin to tout what the person said and they never said it. Of course, it can be abused, but it doesn't deny that it's a thing. It's a it's a relationship. It's a communication. And so, take things to the Lord. The Bible says for us to be Bereans. You receive the word. And no, you don't believe a man. You don't believe what what Greg says. But as the word is shown, you take it before the Lord and your spirit bears witness. Now, it doesn't mean you can't trust the character and the walk of a leader. But you're never even supposed to trust the character and the walk of a leader to the point where you never seek it for yourself. Because our relationship is always to be personal. Personal. But that, that is what gives us what should be normal to say, God told me. It's interesting when you find that you're with other believers who are, what do you mean God told you? Well, what did God just tell you stuff? Yes. What has he been telling you? That's the secret place experience. He ought to be telling you because if not, he's still knocking at your door and the coffee's getting cold. Because you haven't invited him in. That's right. This is a dynamic that, that has to be understood in the bride. This is why you we should be able to confidently say what the Lord has said. But where we get lost is that if I'm confidently speaking what the Lord has revealed, and you don't have that fellowship with the Lord, your spirit won't be able to bear witness with what is said. Because there won't have been any invitation For the Holy Spirit to reveal things to you. Now, sometimes it won't bear witness because it is false. And that's where the body of Christ holds one another accountable. It holds one another accountable. Yes, we have an elder board. Yes, we were ordained through Life Center in Pennsylvania. But this idea, this hierarchy that sometimes gets set up in the church where you have to answer to different people. We, we need to be answering to one another yes. because the Holy Spirit holds us accountable. Yes. It doesn't become a, I sit there, it's like, a, it's like almost an aftermath of the dark ages where, where for a time, you know, the enemy bound the word. It was only the political religious leaders of the day that had anything. And oh, we, we came to just hang on their very human words. Shame. Yeah. We ought to know That is what the essence of the secret place is. And so this is such an important word, such a powerful word. And that is where God fundamentally wants us. This is why when he releases his Holy Spirit, when the signs and wonders come, it will not establish truth that isn't already there in relationship through his word. You ought to know him for yourself. That I may know him, Paul said. And the power of his resurrection, the power, which is knowing the gospel. I, I have had to repent of the times that I have, in a message, heard about, again, the beauty of the gospel and salvation, and have rolled my eyes because I've heard it before. Every single thing That you need every answer for your finances, your body, your relationships, your unsaved neighbors and friends, your calling, your identity, your purpose. Everything is birthed out of what the gospel means in Jesus having paid for a relationship opportunity with us. And of course our ticket to heaven. So never roll your eyes when something is talked again about. I mean, have it just be a time to just worship him more. You know, it can never, John 3.16 should never get old. All the verses, all the Romans wrote verses. It is through the gospel of Jesus that we have this relationship, and it yeah. is awesome. Yeah. But this is a serious time. And the last thing I will say that, is, that it goes along with him, that it is controversial in, in not my words, but in what we see in the word of God. If you read in Acts, the chapter, uh, the, after the Holy Spirit fell, it's not many chapters in. We know the popular, famous story of Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, this was in an environment of spirit-filled holiness. It was a time of revival. The Holy Spirit had just fallen in the upper room at Pentecost. People were added thousands in a day, and this was this environment where the Word was being talked about and, and preached, and, and it was a, it was a powerful environment. It reminds me of the environment that God is taking us to now, whereas this complacent, this lukewarm, this duplicitous attitude that I can go through the motions and give, allowing people to think that I'm really sacrificing and giving all, but I'm not really. You know, you know the story where Ananias went in first. Is this, is this what you, you know, you're really giving? And, and, and there was a lie about it. The immediacy yeah. of the judgment of God And I would dare say the loving judgment of God was to be like, whoa, God's holiness is so powerful. I'm shutting you down because you've made your choice and I'm not in my holiness, in my power, and in this time of revival, I will not let this infect my people. Boom, he drops dead. That, that is the spewing out of the mouth. And the same thing happened to his wife when she came in and was in agreement with her husband. God's not messing around. He's not messing around. And that, that not out of... Shouldn't strike fear in us. Except a holy fear. And an awe and a reverence. You should never be threatened and intimidated. By God's discipline. When you're walking with him. As a child, I never feared the punishment of my parents. When I knew I was doing what was right. But when I was rascaling around... Yeah, I was I was working it, moving it, and shaking it to try to avoid the, at the time the spankings, and um, but I, I I never feared their punishment when I knew I was doing what was right. So it shouldn't be a thing of fear, but it should be a thing of awesome holy fear. Yes. So God is good, and um, man, invite Him in in relationship. This is such a powerful. I hope you'll listen to it again, watch it again. Thank you so much. I'm going to close us in prayer and uh, for the online audience. God, thank you. Thank you, God, for your love, God. Thank you for your goodness. God, we couldn't even enjoy your goodness if you weren't such a holy, powerful, mighty, awesome God. So I praise you and thank you this morning for your holiness. I pray, God, that we would recognize what is before us in a choice, but to also recognize that there is no choice except to just Have everything great. Why would we not choose the goodness of you, God, if we could grasp at all who you are? So, God, I pray that you would open. And and as what was said at the beginning of worship this morning by Brooke and and in that first song, wake up the bride. Wake them up to see your goodness. No one standing before you and standing before your goodness would want to choose anything other than your love. So, God, break down the lies. Break down the veil of deception. Soften hearts and bring us to that place of choosing you. Yes. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for the power of your word. And thank you for your voice that speaks and reveals truth. So we can sit at your feet and just have you tell us how to live and how to move and how to have our being in you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.